Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Reverend Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture reading today is from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 11, verses 2 through 11, in the New Testament section of our Red Bibles, beginning on page 10. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. Guide us, O God, by your word and Holy Spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover your peace through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Matthew 11, verse 2. When John the Baptist heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised and the poor have good news brought to them. And blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? Someone dressed in soft robes? Look, those who wear soft robes are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, no one has arisen greater than John the Baptist, yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. This is the word of the Lord. The Lord is with you. On this third Sunday of Advent, I want to speak to you about doubt. I have doubts. I know that you also live with doubts. I've spent pretty much most of my life if you want to go back to my teenage years, thinking and reading and teaching about the nature of who Jesus is, for the most part, I grew up in a church. I went to a faith-based college. And then at a later point in time, I had the opportunity to go to seminary. I've tried to walk and live my life along what I call the straight and narrow. And even after all of that, I must say to you this morning that I have doubts. In fact, I was thinking to myself that if we were to remove, if we were to remove from the Bible every person who doubted God, the Bible would be a very short book. Why do we doubt? We doubt because we're human. We can't see everything. 
we don't understand everything, we never get to some spiritual level. And if I'm going to burst your bubble this morning, I'm sorry, but we will never get to a spiritual level in which we can confidently say, I've left doubt behind. We doubt because of the mystery of human evil. Dostoevsky, who was a believer, once wrote that the death of a single infant, for some of us, calls into question the existence of God. We doubt because, therefore, of the contradiction that is between the declared goodness of God and the evident wickedness that we see in the world. Several years ago, I read, you know, there are some books that you read and you just may not remember everything you read, but the book just leaves an imprint on you. Several years ago, I read Nobel Peace Prize winner Elie Wiesel's book, Night. And he tells of his first night in a concentration camp, seeing a, a wagon load of babies driven up. And let me quote what he says here. They were unloaded and thrown into a ditch of fire. And he says, never shall I forget the night, that first night in camp, which has turned my life into one long night, seven times cursed and seven times sealed. Never shall I forget those moments that murdered my God and my soul and turned my dreams to dust. Never shall I forget these things, even if I am condemned to live as long as God himself. Never. We doubt. Because there are times when God doesn't make sense. And in today's reading, John the Baptist, whom Jesus called the greatest prophet who ever lived, experienced a crisis in a prison cell. And you say, well, why was he in prison? You have to go all the way to Matthew 14 to see the details. John was a very courageous man, and he publicly rebuked Herod Antipas, who was at that time was the tetrarch or the ruler of Galilee. He rebuked him for his marital affairs. Herod visited his brother Philip in Rome, and while he was there, he seduced Philip his brother's wife. He then divorced his wife and lured his sister-in-law to leave her husband Philip and marry him. John the Baptist, known to speak truth to power, he denounced this behavior and he paid the penalty. Prison for a long time. And while in prison, I don't think it is surprising then that he had these questions. He had doubts languishing in that prison cell. And you go back and look at some of the tidbits, the tidbits of John's sermons where he said, you know, the axe is laid at the tree. When this Messiah comes, he's going to set the prisoner free. That maybe John is sitting in that prison cell wondering, did I peg the wrong person? I, I don't see that axe at the tree. I, I'm in prison and I don't see him setting me free. So here he is in prison, suffering at the hands of Herod's son, Herod Antipas. 
and he has what I call Advent doubt. Are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Or should we keep looking for someone else? Now, when I read that, I kept asking myself, how can this be? I mean, John the Baptist, he is cousin to Jesus. He's six months older than Jesus. He loudly, proudly proclaimed the advent of Christ. He said of his cousin, when they said, are you the one? He said, no, I'm not the one. I'm not the Messiah. I'm just a voice crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. This same John told his disciples when they were wondering about the Messiah in John chapter 1, he said, there he is. There he is. There is the Son of God. There is the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. It is this same John who baptized Jesus in the Jordan River. And he said these beautiful words with such sincerity and with such humility. He said, he must increase. I must decrease. He said, look, I baptized you, he said to the crowds who came to the Judean wilderness. He said, I baptized you with water, but there is one coming after me whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. This John, languishing in a prison cell, had such a high view of Jesus and is now questioning are you the Messiah that we've been expecting? How does this happen? Well, I think part of the answer, and this is where it gets real, you know, I, I, I really, I'm saddened by Christians who say that the Bible is irrelevant. And if there's ever a text that punches holes into that false belief. It is this kind of text. John has lost his swag, his confidence. And he asks, is he the one? And so what was one so clear and solid and tangible and unwavering in the sunny side of John's life is now murky, eclipsed by his pain and suffering in a dark prison cell. And so how could that happen? And this is where it gets real for you and me because suffering assaults certainty. Suffering will eat certainty any day of the week. Everything tends to get out of proportion when you're suffering for a long time. You're suffering with sickness. You're suffering with debt. You're suffering with a painful divorce. You're suffering with, with, with conflict, whether it's in the church or at work. You're suffering with all kinds of issues in your life. And often in those prolonged experiences, that is fertile soil for doubt to grow. But you know, the wonderful thing about John is that he didn't allow this doubt to fester. He sent his disciples to speak to the man himself. Ask him the question. 
And what I love about Jesus is that when, when they came to him and asked him the question, Jesus didn't just respond and said, look, yes, I am the one. Just go back and tell John that I am the one, case closed. No, what Jesus does, he told John's disciples, go and tell John what you hear and what you see. And then he lists these signs. The blind receive their sight, the lame are walking, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf here, the dead are raised up, the poor have the good news preached to them. And I love verse 6, blessed is the one who is not scandalized. Blessed is the one who doesn't fall away. Blessed is the one who doesn't stumble because of me. And a lot of people today in Evanston are stumbling because Jesus doesn't come to them on their terms. Jesus refuses to be domesticated and, and uh, put into a box. And people say, well, I don't want to have anything to do with him. Is that enough, though? Does what Jesus tells the disciples, does it answer, does it illumine John's darkness? And I think, I think so. Because you see, what Jesus was doing, Jesus was telling John, John, I want you to go back to the scriptures you read. John, I want you to go back to the scriptures that you preach. Because verse 5 is really alluding to several Old Testament passages. And I was thinking of this particular one from Isaiah 35, verses 5 through 6. John would have known these words of Isaiah. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped and then the deer will, the, the deer, the lame, that should say, that looks pretty lame, the deer will leap like a deer, a deer. The lame will leap like a deer and the mute, the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. John, you remember those passages. You remember those texts that you were preaching. And so by referring to his works, Jesus was reminding John of the Old Testament prophets who described what would happen when Messiah comes. The other thing I know why I believe John was consoled is because Jesus wasn't worried for John. Jesus did not condemn John because of his doubt any more that God condemned Elijah because of his crashing and burning after Mount Carmel, any more than Jesus condemning the disciples or, or, or Thomas for doubting. Jesus does none of that. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus begins to talk about him to the crowds. And I love what Jesus said, because he's really poking things at the crowds now. He said, what kind of man did you go into the wilderness of Judea to see? Did you go to see a weak, mamby-pamby, reed swayed by the wind? Of course, the answer would be no. Who would want to go all the way into the desert to hear some weakling talk about the coming of the Messiah? Were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? And of course, the answer is no. People of wealth don't linger in a hot desert. They're in a palace. Were you looking for a prophet? And the answer is yes. That's why people left all over the regions to come to the desert to hear this man. Yes, he's more than a prophet. John is the man to whom the scriptures refer when they say, look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you. He'll prepare your way before you. I tell you the truth of all who have ever lived, and I love this, none is greater than John the Baptist yet, and this is hope, hope for you and me. 
Because the great John the Baptist stumbled and doubted, and yet Jesus says, yet even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. What do we do with our doubts? Well, let me just share two possibilities. And there's so many things one can do as one struggles with one's doubt. But one of the things we can do is to, is to acknowledge them. Acknowledge them. Don't be ashamed. Don't think you are an inferior mind or an inferior Christian because you have doubt. In fact, I went back and read some of Tim Keller's book on the reason for God, and here's what he says here. He says, a faith without some doubts is like a human body without any antibodies in it. People who go blithely through life too busy or indifferent to ask hard questions about why they believe as they do will find themselves defenseless against either the experience of tragedy or the probing questions of a smart skeptic. A person's faith can collapse almost overnight if he or she has failed over the years to listen patiently to her own doubts, which should only be discarded after long reflection. It's no longer sufficient, first prayers. It's no longer sufficient to hold beliefs just because you inherited them. Only if you struggle long and hard with objections to your faith Will you be able to provide grounds for your own beliefs to skeptics, including yourself, that are plausible rather than ridiculous or offensive? There is the case for adult education. There is the case for deep engagement with scripture. There is the case to be a reader, to be a thinker, because it's only after you have acknowledged them and wrestled with them that many times you'll be able to give a plausible answer for those who ask you the reason for your belief. Here's the second thing that one could do, and again, this is not the be-all and the end-all, I'm just giving you two. Acknowledge them, second one is to make a choice. Blaise Pascal, wealthy French aristocrat. He was fascinated by gambling. He was a mathematician. The odds, the wager, he was fascinated by gambling, which was an obsession in upper-class 17th century France. His use of the wager was a way of showing that faith is not simply a matter of estimating the probability that God exists. There are certain votes from which it is impossible to abstain. If you decide, if you decide to put off making a decision about getting into shape, your body will decide for you. Can the church say amen? So it is, Pascal said, when it comes to God, evidence alone cannot clearly indicate that God does or does not exist. However, we must choose. We must choose whether we will seek him. Not to choose is its own choice, friends. Your wager began the moment you were born, you were launched, you will, you will bet your life, you will bet your life one way or the other. God either exists or God does not. Heads or tails, no third option. If God doesn't exist, what do you have to lose? Yes, you're going to lose a life devoted to seeking, to love. You're going to lose a life of living generously. You're going to lose a life of speaking truth 
and doing justice if God doesn't exist. But if God does not exist and we choose, I'm sorry, if God does exist and we choose not to follow him, we lose everything. Everyone believes, for there is no other way to live. Everyone believes. There's nobody here who could say, well, I don't. We all believe in something. Even those who say they know that they have no need of belief. What we're doing is, according to Pascal, we're throwing the dice. They're throwing the dice. So this morning I'm asking you as you wrestle with your, your doubts to choose. Because in a moment of great trial, John the Baptist experienced doubt and he made a choice. He said, guys, I want you to go to him and ask him the question. Instead of, him, instead of being immobilized in his doubt, instead of languishing in his doubts, he acknowledged it and he sought answers. So I know in a gathering like this, there are believers and there are doubters. My only question to you is, are you sitting on the fence when it comes to Jesus? May I encourage you, may I encourage you to doubt your doubts. Don't be lazy with your doubts. The only way to doubt Christianity rightly and fairly, listen to me now, brothers and sisters, the only way, the only way to doubt Christianity rightly and fairly is to discern the alternate belief under each of your doubts. And then ask yourself, what reasons do you have for believing it? So if you doubt Christianity, but you believe in this, then ask yourself, why do you believe in this? How do you know this is more true? How do you know this is going to fill you up? How do you know this is the way to live? Question even the very thing that you say you believe while you hold Christianity at bay. Because it would be inconsistent to require more justification for Christian belief. And that's what a lot of people do. They don't question their stuff over here, but they're asking the Christian to provide this mountain of evidence when they don't even do the same for the things they say they believe. I'm encouraging you today to get off the fence and do what John did, seek answers, seek Christ, seek him through the wisdom of the scriptures, seek him through the wisdom of others, and let God himself continue to surprise you with ways and with answers to some of the doubts that you have. I live with a lot of unanswered questions but I continue to walk in the light that God continues to send me. May you do that today. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and God's people say,